Off the weekend, we are back aboard on the Fight Freaks Unite podcast as Ryan Garcia is victorious and pointing towards a bigger fight later this year or early next year. We're ready to talk about that. What went on on the top-ranked main event where Arnold Barboza was victorious uh, on ESPN Friday night. We're recapping all of it here as part of Fight Freaks Unite. I'm TJ Reeves. He is our insider on BigFightWeekend.com. You also read him on his Fight Freaks Unite Substack, our content partner, on the podcast as well as Dan Rayfield. Good to be back off the weekend. Some action there. We have uh, fights to talk about. We have historical fights to talk about. Everything good in your world here? All is well. Pretty good weekend. Uh, especially if you're Ryan Garcia. He's back, had a pretty good crowd. We'll get into that in a second and got the big victory by knockout, a knockout win that gets everybody's juices going for sure, not unexpected. So we're ready to talk about that in the recap mode. Again, we are here coming off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite. We kind of bookend it with the big fight weekend preview before things happen. That's out on Fridays. You'll catch this podcast coming off the weekend, late Sunday night, Monday morning. And if you're following or subscribing, you'll get the automatic alert. So follow or subscribe the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you get podcasts, you'll get this one. One more bit of housekeeping. Continue to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. I see a couple more have done that here since uh, we started bringing this up again. We're bribing you. Yes, Dan Rayfield, we're bribing the audience that if they rate us and review us, uh, they've got an opportunity to get at uh, random on a drawing a, a George Cambosis, Devin Haney. I guess we should say Devin Haney, undisputed title fight winning poster from that fight with Cambosis back a couple of months ago. You have one of those crisp, uh, awesome collector's items. Somebody will get that if they rate us and review us because we're going back, Dan, as we keep saying, all the way to people that have rated us or reviewed us on Apple Podcast back in June. And if you're still rating us in July, you're still eligible for the random drawing. So give us a five-star review. Take 90 seconds. Go on Apple Podcast. Say what an unbelievably talented and sexy individual Dan Rayfield is. Okay, you don't have to say sexy. Rate us and review us. And then tag Dan, tag Big Fight Weekend, whichever one, so that we can see it. Send us a screenshot so that we can see that it's you. And then we will draw somebody at random. Uh, just by doing that. And again, a few of you have done that. You get the poster, you get all that. Hopefully I don't, you're not blushing. Hopefully I don't make you blush uh, with all of this and the self-deprecation. Um, all right, let's begin. Ryan Garcia victorious by knockout over Javier Fortuna. That was not, as I said, unexpected. He got to him earlier than I, than I thought he would get to him, earlier than you thought he would get to him. What are your thoughts on the KO win to keep Garcia undefeated uh, Saturday night in L.A.? Well, first of all, not a surprise, TJ, that he got the knockout. I think we expected that. I have to be honest, though. I was a little disappointed in how badly Fortuna fought. I mean, he did not appear to be in top shape, which was sort of uh, inferred by the fact that very, very quietly, without them telling anybody, they raised the weight limit from the fight to 135, which was originally supposed to be to 140. Now, I've seen a lot of people on social media talking about how much bigger Ryan Garcia was in Fortuna, how it was not a fair fight. And what those dummies don't understand is that the weight limit was raised, not because of Ryan Garcia's inability or unwillingness to make 135. That was strictly an accommodation to Fortuna, who was the, his team is the one that said they needed the heavy right now. Ryan, of course, looked big and strong and better at 140 and felt comfortable there. And based on the fight that he had against Fortuna on Saturday, decided, as he stated in his post-interview, that he was going to stay 
at 140 pounds. But the impetus to go to 140 was not because that was the situation beforehand. That was strictly, you know, we don't want to lose this matchup. We don't want to have to find a new opponent. We don't have to screw up our date. So therefore, you know, we'll accommodate Javier Fortuna, who may be the smaller guy in general, but was the one that was having more trouble making the weight. So that partly said to me that maybe he's not going to be in the greatest shape. But let me tell you something. When they talk about he only had seven weeks to train, excuse me, most training camps are between six and eight weeks. You know, seven weeks is a that's that's a pretty long training camp. That's not something. Right. Uh, right. But what that tells me is that, you know, if he couldn't make 135 in a seven week camp, I mean, what was he, 170 pounds, 160? I mean, so the bottom line was, you know, he's at the end of his career, generally, in my opinion. But it was still the best win of, of Ryan Garcia's career. He looked really strong at the weight. He seemed very confident. He basically did as he pleased. You know, he punched with both hands very well. He scored three knockdowns, went to the body for one knockdown, went to the head for knockdowns, hit him with the right, hit him with the left. I mean, you know, Fortuna's uh, shortcomings notwithstanding, you, you really can't fault anything that Ryan Garcia did. It was a, a, a dominating, exciting, electrifying performance. Uh, you know, he did a hell of a job. I mean, and it's to me, the biggest thing is now after having the, the, the starts and stops and the long layoffs, he's now back in the ring, went 12 rounds in April, scored a knockdown one handily, comes back a few months later against a more credible opponent, even if he wasn't in perfect condition and absolutely destroyed him. Say whatever you want about the conditioning or the lack thereof of a Javier Fortuna who had some losses, you know, a couple of three losses before that. No one ever did that to him. No one ever just completely annihilated him. Even in right. his one knockout loss several years ago, it was a real fight up until the stoppage and he didn't get put down for a 10 count. So, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything you can say negatively about Ryan Garcia's performance. Uh, you know, what, what can you say? He's uh, one of the brightest stars in the sport. And, uh, he talked a lot of shit going into the fight, and he delivered on that shit. And uh, he was fighting in his backyard there in L.A. They had a good crowd. I know the comparisons are everywhere. We're going to mention the name Tank Davis several times now in the conversation. That Tank Davis fought uh, back last December in the same venue and may have sold more tickets, but it's not like there were only 3,000 people there for Garcia's fight. They ended up filling the lower bowl, let's say, of Staples Center. I saw some pictures. I saw some video. They announced 11,000. He was in front of his people, uh, and he delivered, like you said. And so now the key is keep that momentum going. Get back out there again later this year. So again, for the second time, here's the name, Tank Davis. He said it in the ring. We knew he was going to say it. We were joking on the BetUS show Friday on the BetUS preview show, a plug again that were there Friday on BetUS and their YouTube channel and their app and their platforms, one Eastern time. We, talk, we talked about on Friday, the under over would be like, three sentences and you even joked maybe he's standing over fortuna saying i want tank uh, all right so he did say that you've already uh, eloquently laid out on that show and on our big fight weekend preview there are a myriad big word of reasons why it can't happen are you optimistic in the least that if the two fighters want to do this that it could happen later this year or first half of next year or do you just have no optimism and we should just move on at this point I'm not optimistic at all. So where, as, as you get to know me and my mentality when it comes to making these fights, you know that I'm a lot more optimistic about, say, an Errol Spence fighting a Terrence Crawford before the end of this year than I've been. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I still say, even though that one looks like it's going to get done, 
you know, I try not to get too high or too low, you know, let me know when the contract is signed and then I'll be, uh, you know, you know, believing that it's actually occurring there. So that that's, a, and that's by the way, a much, much bigger fight than Ryan Garcia is against, uh, Gervonta Davis. I mean, they're both outstanding matchups, but in terms of, uh, the type of crowd it will do, the type of pay-per-view it will do, the type of general, uh, mainstream excitement that this, the, the meaningfulness of the fight, you know, that's that, that welterweight fight would be for the undisputed title, you know, a tank Davis, uh, versus uh, Ryan Garcia is not even for a serious title. It'd be, I guess, for, I mean, if it's at 140 where Ryan says it would be, it wouldn't even be for a title, I guess, but not the title's most important thing. But the point is this, I am optimistic, cautiously so, about Spence versus uh, uh, Terrence Crawford. When it comes to Ryan Garcia and Javante Tank Davis, I have zero optimism, TJ. And I, I feel like Ryan, and I respect this and I like this, he's trying to will it into happening. Right. You know, in the old uh, words of... Uh, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder, you know, think it, speak it, believe it, you know, and it can happen. He really wants to fight. I have no doubt about that. I've had, you know, several conversations with Ryan Garcia over the last you know, year or so where he's constantly spoken about that. This is both in interviews I've done with him, private text messages and listen to other interviews he's done with other reporters. So, you know, he's been calling this fight for quite a while. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I can't ever remember Tank Davis in any meaningful manner saying the name Ryan uh, so Garcia. The, only, the only reference I have is when they were doing that show together, and actually it was kind of like an ambush of Gervonta Davis. Uh, Garcia was sitting with Mike Tyson on a Mike Tyson video show and podcast, and they started talking about Tank Davis. And then Tyson, in a semi-sober but probably cannabis-induced state, said, let me just get him on FaceTime. And he got him on FaceTime. And then they're all rolling video of the two of them talking right. back and forth. And Tank Davis even says in that, I will fight you, I will fight you. So that's what a lot of people are gravitating but to. But that's typical of fighters. Now the business part comes in on how we make But every time that Tank Davis has polished off an opponent. And by the way, I'm a Tank Davis fan. I, I love watching mm -hmm. this kid fight. I mean, he's as exciting and as interesting a fighter as you'll find in the sport. And you know, for different reasons, I put Ryan Garcia in a similar situation. But whereas Ryan will get in the post-fight interview immediately after his fights are over. Now, granted, he's not been fighting as often as Tank Davis, but he does have two fights in the last few months. So he's said it after both of them, uh, continually saying he wants to fight Tank Davis. And that Mike, Mike Tyson appearance, I know what you're talking about, because I remember reading about that, seeing it, listening to it, you know, whenever that happened a number of months ago. Uh, it was last year. It was a year and a half ago. But basically. after after his recent victory over Romero, Rolly Romero in May, uh, in the December victory over Isaac Pitbull Cruz, you can go all the way back to when he was fighting as a junior welterweight when he knocked out Mario Barrios at the 140-pound uh, weight class. You know, he didn't really mention those guys. And, you know, and, and by then, Tank's not really been one to call guys out. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he's in any way afraid to fight him. It's not like he's calling out all these other guys either. But there are so many issues that that will prevent that fighter that would make it difficult to happen you know you have to okay if we base it on this premise if the fight happens it's going to have to be a pay-per-view obviously tank is fighting you know unknown guys on pay-per-view mm -hmm. he's fighting ryan garcia it's a pay-per-view so right away you got to go on pay-per-view okay that's cool uh he is with mayweather promotions and pbc and ryan garcia has a promotional contract with golden boy i could not think of two entities that get along and are least interested in doing business with one another than the PBC um, Mayweather Promotions Group slash Golden Boy. 
there's so much terrible water under that bridge. It's yeah. ridiculous. Now you were saying it, you were saying it Friday, Mayweather hates yeah. De La Hoya. They've hated each other for 15 years, including 100%. Mayweather beating him. And yeah. even if, even if Oscar, who has been very public saying he'll do a deal with these guys, no problem. Uh, that may be true, but it, it, when you make a business deal such as this, particularly one at this level, you know, it can't be one way traffic. It has to be a collaborative effort between these entities. Cool. Now that's all. That's, that's the first part of it. Yep. The second part of it is the broadcasting situation. Okay. So I want to interject right here. I saw something interesting. I want your feeling on this. So Steven Espinoza was giving interviews, I believe in and around the Jake Paul press conference where he was asked, our, our buddy Dan Canobio did this on his Inside Boxing Live show. He was standing there. He asked Espinoza this. He put the clip on social media. He said, uh, tell me about what stands in the way of that fight. And Espinoza volunteered to him, Ryan Garcia does not have a deal for exclusivity on DAZN. Ryan Garcia's deal is with Golden Boy, and we could make a deal with Golden Boy to have him fight Tank Davis. I'm paraphrasing pretty much what he exactly said. So please pick up on the broadcasting part of it and that part of it, because it seems to me Espinosa is going on the offensive to say, don't hide behind that you have to fight on the no. zone. So go ahead. No one's, no one's saying he has to fight in the zone, if that's true. And it very well may be because, you know, the fighters don't have the deals with the networks right now. A lot, I shouldn't say all of them, but most of them, they have their deals with their promoters, but their promoters have deals with their networks. For example, take any top ranked fighter. They don't have deals with ESPN, but ESPN has a deal with top rank. Right. And except in rare circumstance, those boxers fight on ESPN. Now, I'll give you an example where that could change. Go back a couple of years ago, three, four years ago. Jose Ramirez, one of the premier fighters in the top rank stable at that time, held the junior welterweight world title. And Eddie Hearn was promoting Maurice Hooker and they were fighting on the zone. And they offered Top Rank and, Mar and uh, Ramirez a big, big deal, like over $4 million plus to come and do that fight on, on DAZN. And so Top Rank talked to the Ramirez camp, had a conversation with the ESPN executives. And I know this for a fact because I was still working at ESPN at the time. Uh, and they basically said, you know what? It's too good of an opportunity for your fighter for us to stand in the way of, you know, Go whip his ass and come back to ESPN with both titles. And that's exactly what happened. He went down <laughs> right. to Maurice Hooker's hometown, uh, you know, right outside of Dallas. He knocked him out and he came back as a unified champion and was then fighting on ESPN. So it's not impossible. However, in the case of a Garcia fight against Tank Davis, first of all, the money at hand is way, way bigger than that $4 million, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, even if he doesn't have a deal with DAZN, I can't fathom and, and Oscar and his and his team at Golden Boy would be derelict in their duties. Their whole company is based on revenue that generated, for the most part, from their TV deal, their streaming deal with DAZN. Why in the world would you take a fighter like Ryan Garcia, who DAZN has spent millions of dollars on, has done its... I mean, other than when Canelo was fighting on DAZN with Oscar, there was no bigger fighter, at least from what I hear, that would draw bigger... Uh, subscription numbers mm -hmm. when his fights come up than Ryan Garcia other than Canelo Alvarez. So Oscar can't really in a, in a, in a real way say, listen, we're just going to go and do this fight with Showtime when DAZN supports his company. That, that would be derelict in his duty. So technically speaking, Espinosa is probably correct. And I'm not knocking Steve for, for saying that, uh, you know, because he's trying to sway the public mindset in his direction. 
For oh, example, no let me just interject. Let me help you make your point. To, to interject, the whole falling out and bad blood and ultimate divorce with Canelo and Golden Boy and De La Hoya was that when Canelo realized you, Oscar, have made a deal with DAZN where they can disapprove who my opponents are, I'm furious that you went and made a separate deal besides the deal that you and I have. All right, so that's where well, the divorce. You're not quite exactly. It's not quite exactly right. The, the the issue there was there was two contracts that were competing. Yes. In other words, certain rights were given to DAZN that Canelo hadn't given to Golden Boy, and they had contracts that were in conflict. So, but that's a different story. But this is really about. But it's if the you same. Have, pre- but hold on, it's the same premise, which is fighters saying to Oscar, "My deal is with you for you to promote the fights with me. My deal in that case for Canelo is not for you to go to DAZN and have DAZN to have the ability to reject who I'm fighting." And that's what led to the divorce. I'm not saying that will happen with Garcia, but it's just food for thought that if Ryan Garcia could make ten million. $12 million, hypothetically. I don't know what the numbers are. You're, you're better to speak to this, to fight Tank Davis, as opposed to making a couple million on his own to fight guys that are no, nowhere but, but near that drawing is, there's card. No reason, there's no reason they can't do it in a joint manner. Because remember, back at the beginning, when DAZN was strictly streaming and other entities were also pay-per-view, the, the question always became, well, how in the world can you do a joint pay-per-view when one is strictly based right. on streaming and anti-pay-per-view and the other one is about pay-per-view. That doesn't exist anymore. Right, they are right. they have knocked that wall down. The zone is now, you know, they're all the way in in terms of pay-per-view. Now they don't want to do it often, uh, from what they say. They'll do it a few times a year if necessary for a bigger fight, like a big Canelo fight. And I think that a, a Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight certainly would fall into that category. Uh, but I just don't think that Showtime, and I'm not entirely sure they have a contract with Tank Davis that says he has to fight on Showtime either. I don't know that, but I think that Mayweather Promotions, they have an, an arrangement with Showtime same and thing. they make right, those kind right, of deals. So right. same sorts of situation. But here's the point. And I don't even blame Espinosa for this. He doesn't want to even give a shred of publicity, help, assistance in any way, shape or form to his competitor in the streaming space. I get that. Uh, but if you want to make the biggest fights possible, that's what has to happen. They don't view Showtime, that is. They don't view DAZN as a big 800-pound gorilla, the way everybody viewed HBO when Showtime was in second place. Mm -hmm. And they had no choice but to go and make a joint deal with uh, HBO if they wanted to do a Lennox Lewis-Mike Tyson fight. Or at the time, you know, when it was Floyd being their main guy and go and make a deal with Pacquiao, which was the biggest fight going. And there was so much revenue, you couldn't possibly not make that deal. You know, a Tank Davis-Ryan Garcia fight, it's a big fight, right? But here's the thing. Let's not get too carried away. Everybody needs to take a deep breath. You know, Tank Davis may be a young star in this sport, but he's never done, you know, has he ever even done 400,000 pay-per-view buys? I don't think so. Ryan Garcia, because of his association with the zone and he's lacked for big name opponents, has never been on pay-per-view. That's other than like a Canelo undercard. I'm not, I'm talking about it being in the main event. So, you know, we don't know what that fight would do. I suspect it might do in the half a million range and something like that. Now I, I'm more optimistic that it would do more than that. It's the biggest fight for those two guys right now. I mean, let's be honest. All right. We're just, we're keeping it real on a fight freaks unite recap here while we're, you know, while we're both fresh off this Garcia thing, but let's be honest about tank Davis. The last three fighters are Mario Barrios, not a champion, Isaac Cruz, not a champion and Roly Romero, not a champion. And that's part of what his frustration has been with Mayweather and his setup where are the biggest fights? Why am I not fighting? Are you 
Are I you just, telling me that Mario Barrios's WBA regular junior welterweight title? Exactly didn't what I'm telling you. It's <laughs> exactly what I'm telling you. That and some French fries, and you call it a happy meal. So his frustration was. Where is the $10 million, $15 million pay-per-view? We know what the truth is, which, okay, this is a whole other thing that we could spend 15 minutes on. Gervonta Davis is not going to get his hands on Devin Haney or George Cambosis or Lomachenko anytime soon. Why? Because they're all aligned with top rank and they're going to fight under the top rank umbrella. And it's the same thing PBC is doing in other divisions with other fighters. That's how it works. So if you're Tank Davis and you have a chance to make three or four times the money to fight Ryan Garcia, even though he doesn't have a title, if I'm him, that's the fight I want too. And like you keep preaching and you're right. If the fighters want it, that's the most fundamental thing. I realize there are roadblocks in the way. Right. But- so, so it feels like Oscar, whatever his craziness, when he says it, I believe Oscar, and this is on a track record. Golden boy is probably the best company in boxing when it comes to actually working with other promoters over the last several years, they've made several fights with the uh, matchroom boxing. They've made several fights with top rank. They have, uh, said they've got no problem if they can make a deal with PBC, but it's a two-way street. So they they have shown it uh, in their actions uh, of doing fights with other promoters. Um, and you have Oscar saying he's willing to do that kind of arrangement. You have his, you know, the fighter he promotes, Ryan Garcia, saying that that's the guy he wants. And if he's saying that loud, you know, loudly after every single fight, I know he's also telling it to people on his team also. Now you take the DAZN executives. You listen to like the things that Joe Markowski says who's been very civilized in the discourse where, you know, Espinoza sometimes, uh, you know, denigrated the zone. Markowski's never really done that. He, you know, they're, they're willing to do it, which I can understand why, because if they can somehow put themselves in the same paragraph as a showtime, it's a shine, a good light on his company. So, you know, they're always seemingly willing, all the people lined up on that side of the street, so to speak, are willing to work with the other side to make this big fight. Now I can't say the same thing, about it because again, I know Leonard Ellerby 20 plus years. I, I, I'm friendly with Leonard. Uh, we've had our back and forth. We don't agree on a lot of things, but I respect his, uh, his the hard work that he's done over all these years. And then I go read his tweets and just out of nowhere, randomly, so happens to be on the weekend that Ryan Garcia is fighting. He goes in and I'm paraphrasing, tweeting out how, you know, all roads lead through Tank Davis. He's the biggest star in the sport, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, for what purpose do you say that? That's not, that doesn't help you make a fight. I just don't feel like they have any desire to make okay. that match, at least at the present moment. And so they can talk about it, and we as fans will suffer, and Ryan Garcia will wind up fighting like Joseph Diaz Jr., that was and just Tank say. Davis will fight somebody else, and that'll be that. Okay, so you really believe not only does this not happen, but then, I mean, because again, we could spend 15 more minutes. Garcia's not getting his hands on Devin Haney. You explained that Friday. If Devin Haney well, wins that, again, by the way, that's not on because they be, Yeah. No, I believe that top rank and golden boy could theoretically make that deal. But we top know what, but we know what's happening there that whoever wins Cambosis Haney, the rematch is fighting Lomachenko after that for the more massive Probably. payday. Right. Right. So, but that's not, it's not a matter of the other companies saying we don't want to work with them. We don't want to do it. They have other plans. They have things. And by okay. the way, is there any boxing fan out there that would complain that the winner of a Cambosis Haney rematch is going to fight Lomachenko. Of course who's, not. You know, no knock on Ryan, but Lomachenko is probably more deserving of an opportunity to fight for the undisputed title. And and by the way, Haney, in an interview on the DAZN broadcast, even though he's got a contract to do a rematch, he's hemming and hawing. He's saying he's not necessarily fighting. What that means, if you read between the lines, is he'll do his rematch, but he wants more money. He wants a better share of the pie, which I get. 
of course. So with that being said, you think that we probably later this year, somebody like Jojo Diaz or somebody else while Ryan Garcia just has to wait because that's the fight he can get his hands on and he needs to stay active. He needs to stay relevant right now. That's probably what we're looking at in conclusion before we move on. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact opponent who will be. I just thought of a guy that's in and around that weight class that Golden Boy is also uh, the promoter of, and that's Jojo Diaz, who who he was supposed to fight uh, before he had the hand surgery last right. fall. That was the November fight that he had to pull out of, and and uh, that's what happened. Um, Diaz look. subsequently loses to Haney because of that, and then Haney moves on and fights Cambosis and wins. So Here's the thing. We can come on this podcast every week from now until, you know, the end of time, probably. The cows or at least come the end of this home, year. as we say in the South, until the cows come home. Look how long it took Pacquiao and, and Floyd to fight. Look how long it's taken to get serious about the prospect of a, of a Crawford and Errol Spence fight. I'm sorry, man. I mean, I, I hate to like piss on everybody's, uh, you know, in their, in, in their, and make them in a bad mood on a Monday morning or a late Sunday night when this comes out. If you think that 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 Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia are fighting later this year, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Don't get you know, I hope I'm wrong. But please, I got I I've been down this road way too many times. You know, this as I like to say, TJ, not my first rodeo, and I've seen a lot of other fights that are way bigger than this have these type of problems. This is not even at the top level of those fights that haven't come to pass. So to me. This is just a whole lot of nothing. All right. Fair enough. Rest but it, of, makes for, it makes for a good segment on the podcast. No doubt. And we've covered it thoroughly, and now we'll cover it some more if there's more than just smoke and more than just blather after fights or whatever. Let's let's get to some, some reality of can it actually happen, and then we'll talk about it again on Garcia and Davis. Um, all right. Uh, the rest of that card. I'll be kind. Uh, <laughs> lacked a whole lot of excitement lacked a whole lot of reason to compel you. So I'm being as kind as I can. What else from that golden boy card, if anything deserves more than a minute or two of our time on the fight freaks unite recap go. Well, it was a terrible undercard. It was a terrible undercard on paper and it was even a worse undercard in execution. Uh, The only nice thing I'll say, well, I'll say a couple things. I won't piss all over completely. I'll say a was, you know, this was on the, on the preliminary part. This was before the main card. This was on the, on the on the pre card mm-hmm. the uh the, the preliminary first couple hours uh nice to see diego de la hoya back in action after a long layoff and weight problems and illness all kinds of issues comes back in his first fight as a full-fledged featherweight made weight wasn't ill and scored a nice knockout uh against a journeyman opponent but he hadn't fought for quite a long time and so good to see him back on the horse i always thought he was a good prospect and that his problems were not related to his talent it was more related to his mental situation and 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 coming to grips with the fact that he was trying to be in the wrong weight class. So uh, that was nice to see him back in action. Uh, Furthermore, uh, I've always found Lamont Roach Jr., the junior lightweight, to be an outstanding boxer, the nicest kid in the world. I know him and his dad a long time, good people. Um, Nice to see him get a victory. Uh, He earned it. He's not the most exciting fighter in the world. That's never been his game, but he's a very talented boxer. And I dare say that he'll give any 130-pounder a tough fight on any night. And he got a win on Saturday night that put him in position to become uh, a title cha- a mandatory title challenger, uh, I believe in the WBA. And so he's on his way to another title shot. His only loss of his career was a highly competitive decision loss in a title fight against Jamel Herring a couple of years ago. So that was one of the undercard fights. It was on the main card. He beat uh, the, the, the one loss angel Rodriguez in a, in a 
pretty uh, clear decision, like around eight, four, nine, three type of scores beyond that uh, Alexis Rocha in the co-feature, you know, I, I, oh. I mean, golden boy has been trying to make him out. Like he's the next coming at Walter Wade. I'm sure he's a nice guy and he's been in some okay fights, but he was not in a good fight. I don't really think he's anything spectacular. Uh, he may be popular. I wish him well. I'm not trying to knock the kid, but I just don't see it. I don't see the star power. I don't see him being a top welterweight. It was contender, an in my ambient opinion. fight. It was ready to put me to sleep trying to get yeah, to that was, Garcia that was not event. good. And then, you know, they had a flyweight eliminator and a strawweight eliminator. And it's just like, whatever. I mean, let's move on. I mean, we saw enough there, uh, but everybody came for the main event. Ryan delivered, thankfully, and uh, put on a hell of a performance and uh, can't say more good things about Ryan. Garcia's uh, performance and you know people don't understand the kind of pressure that Ryan Garcia is on to perform and part of it's his own fault because of the way he talks and right. this, you know social media stuff and all that and you know he brings it on himself fair enough but to me there's a big thing in boxing and Floyd Mayweather did this for years and plenty of other fighters have done it you know if you're going to talk the talk you got to walk the walk Floyd always did it and Ryan Garcia is doing it presently now, we'll see when he steps up the level of opposition what happens, but so far, so good. All right, moving on here with Dan Rayfield for a few more minutes. Top-ranked Friday night show on ESPN from Temecula, California, and the Pachanga Casino. Did I get that correct? I believe I did. You uh, did. Arnold Barboza, victorious. Kudos to you on the BetUS show. You had Barboza by decision. I took a flyer on the underdog, Danilito uh, Zoria out of Puerto Rico, uh, Zorio did not have much. Barboza deserves credit. Zoria did score a big, it was a little dramatic moment. It scored a big right hand in the 10th round. Couldn't do much though after that. 10 round decision win for Barboza. That was the headlining fight. Your thoughts on that main event and that card in the recap mode, please, sir. I thought that was the best fight of the weekend in terms of just overall action. Uh, it was a good fight. I thought it was, it was somewhat competitive, even though the scores were fairly wide. Uh, like you mentioned, as good as Barbosa looked and taking control of that fight right off the bat, you know, Zaria always felt, I'd always felt like to me that he was dangerous, that he could come back and do something. Uh, and Barbosa, to his credit, took some couple of good right hands in the 10th round and a couple combinations. And there was definitely some drama. It was, it was a pretty good fight up until that point. And then of course, in the 10th round, when that occurred, there was definitely some drama moments where is Barbosa going to be able to survive to the final bell? He did. He got his hand raised. He won. You know, he's sort of like the dark horse in the division. You know, I don't know if he's going to uh, get a chance to fight for the title in his next fight or a title, uh, but he's right there in the mix. He's undefeated. Top rank, as I've mentioned in the past, is very deep in that weight class. They promote the uh, unified champion, Josh Taylor. They promote the former champion, Jose Ramirez, who also was a former unified title holder who lost uh, in the undisputed fight against Josh Taylor. Tiafima Lopez is moving into that weight class to make his debut at 140 uh, in August. They also uh, promote other fighters in that weight class. And Barbosa is another one of those guys. He's been calling out Tiafima Lopez. There was talk that when Tiafimo came back, that Barbosa would be his opponent. That did not uh, materialize. And Lopez will instead fight Pedro Campa. But I do think that there's a chance that Tiafimo and Barbosa could fight uh, in the future. As, as Arnold said, if he doesn't get a chance to fight for a title, he wants Tiafimo Lopez. And, uh, you know, he's in a great spot. And, uh, you know, and Zuria still, you know, got his first loss. Um, gonna have to just, you know, shake that off and uh, get back in the gym and see if he can come back. I don't think you write him off. I think he still has the possibility to do something, uh, but he's gonna have to make a few adjustments. Um, but that was a good fight. I mean, for, for, for a non-title fight for, you know, you know, and top rank doesn't deny this. There's different levels of their shows. They've got the big major championship shows like a Cambosis Haney, or when they did Tiafimo versus 
Lomachenko or other Loma fights when they had Terrence Crawford live on ESPN. Obviously, from a budgetary standpoint, they're not all going to be those multi-million dollar shows. This is one of the lower level shows in terms of the dollars, but they still made a good match. And at least the fighters deliver some entertainment. They had, they had better BF and Joe Smith for three Another of the light example. heavyweight belts sure. on ESPN. That was not on pay-per-view. Oh, I mean, they had, they had they had Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson live on ESPN. So not all of their main events are of equal level in terms of status and money. But if you're going to make a fight that's not at that level, at least they're matchmakers and they had the fighters willing to fight each other. They put on a good show. Now, the undercard. We were supposed to see Keyshawn Davis, but he was ill and had a back out. So instead, they took uh, Raymond Moritaya, the excellent lightweight prospect, moved him up from the preliminary part of the card. Um, he he went the route again, you know, in his fight against a higher uh, Viltiera, who was supposed to be the Keyshawn Davis opponent. He didn't get the knockout, but he looked good. He, you know, this against a learning fight. You know, you get the rounds in. You know, you 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 basically just make sure you do what you're supposed to do. You listen to your corner. Uh, and you realize, by the way, that you're not going to score a knockout every single time. So from the standpoint, if you're the Moritaya team, you have something at least to go back to the gym and to preach on a little bit because he's now 15-0, and 0, and, you know, he looked good. He won, you know, every single round. He scored a knockdown. He didn't get the knockout. But, you know, Ryman Moritaya is, is going places in this lightweight division. Uh, so I'm, I've been a big fan of his even before he was fighting on the televised parts of the cards. Um, and uh, now that was a good opportunity for him to be in front of a national audience. Uh, again, maybe he didn't get the knockup, but he did everything else you could possibly ask for him to do. And then the other televised match, you had the uh, 2020 uh, United States super heavyweight silver medalist from the Olympics, Richard Torres Jr. fighting essentially in his home area. Uh, you know, what can you say? It was a 50, 58, 59 second fight against a guy that didn't belong in the ring and he just pounded him out. Uh, but that's what young heavyweights do as they're getting ready to you know, launch their pro careers. He had a tough fight in his first fight because of a bad head bite on accident that kept him out for a few months. So he got a little bit of a softer touch, ran through him. And uh, he's, uh, they were so confident that he was going to take care of business that right after the fight was over top ranked announced his next fight, we'd be back uh, on one of the cards. I think, they had I think Torres was still in the ring and I got the top rank uh, <laughs> email alert that they, Hey, yeah. he's fighting the 27th of August next. Exactly. Oh, okay. You guys were already planning that. So the top ranked show in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? We'll have, Richie Torres on the undercard on that. So, well, as I have said about, about Torres in the past, um, I'm not sure how far he's going to go in terms of his ability to become a heavyweight champion, because I just felt like he's undersized, but whatever he does, it's going to be interesting to watch because he's got a fan friendly style and uh, a likable personality. And, uh, you know, basically we're two and oh, uh, into his career and it's just going to be fun to watch. That's the way I look at it, whether they're uh, blowout fights or, somewhat competitive or whatever. Uh, the main attraction, of course, is the main event and the two prospects uh, taking care of their business on the undercard. All right, good enough on all of those for recapping uh, the weekend on those fights. Again, it's kind of the dog days of summer, but we do have some action out there. It is interesting as we release the podcast uh, and Monday, Monday being July the 18th. July the 18th has a lot of significance in the history of the sport. Uh, we can go back to, man, oh man, was this 30. 35 years ago, is that right? July 18, oh. 1987 is Mike McCallum, the body snatcher. I remember watching live Dan Rayfield, the body snatcher with one of the wicked one punch left hook knockouts you would see. Uh, still stands the test of time 35 years later, knocking out the Cobra, Donald Curry. And I was a Donald Curry fan. Uh, kind of growing up, gravitating to him a little bit, watching him come up through the ranks or whatever. And McCallum absolutely laid him out. And yeah, that the, was uh, 35 years ago, my friend. 
the body snatcher McCallum against the Lone Star Cobra and Curry. Yes. Now, I mean, we may be a little older than some of our listeners who may not remember this or know about it. I would, if you are not in uh, like uh, somebody that was watching boxing in like the late eighties, you know, whatever your age may be, right. it's definitely worth to take a few minutes, go on YouTube and look that fight up. Um, maybe not the greatest fight of all time, but the knockout is sensational. Remember, and I'll just to put it in a little bit of historical context. And I wrote about this in my Fight Freaks Unite um, in my newsletter the other day, because uh, as people, if they read it, they know oftentimes when I do my notebooks, I do at the very end, I call it show and tell. Mm-hmm. And I usually, not always, but usually based on a birthday, on an anniversary of something, of a fight, of a birth, of a death, whatever. And I'll put a piece of memorabilia from whatever fight I'm writing about that's on the anniversary or thereabouts within those couple of days uh, of something from my own collection. So I have, because I, I have... Uh, I'm a fan of Donald Curry's and McCallum's and they fought each other. They're both hall of famers. I have the program. I have the poster from that fight. Mm. So I wrote about it in my fight freaks United newsletter that went out the other day. And to put it in context, you had Mike McCallum who had been the long reigning champion at 154 pounds, held the WBA title was making his sixth defense. It would turn out to be his last defense because he would end up moving up in weight after that, uh, taking on Donald Curry, who for a period of time, it didn't last long, but for a couple of years, like there was a serious argument that he's the best pound for pound fighter in boxing. He had been the undisputed welterweight champion. Um, he had lost that title in a big upset. He had come back and moved up in weight to 154, got a couple wins under his belt. And then they matched him up with McCallum, two great names, um, guys who eventually would wind up in the Hall of Fame. McCallum, even though he was the champion, was the underdog going into the fight. And Donald Curry was making it look like that was a wise move to make him the favorite because he was winning the fight. And then all of a sudden in that, in that final round before, you know, of the knockout, he lands one of the most picturesque left hooks McCallum that you will ever see in boxing. Uh, the old KO magazine, which was, which eventually was bought by the, by the ring magazine company. Uh, but for a long time on its own was one of the best boxing magazines you could buy. And they picked it as the knockout of the year for 1987. And, uh, it was just, you know, just a, it's one of those knockouts where if you saw it, you're like, oh my God, just a yep. flatten Donald Curry in the middle of the ring, uh, you know, who Shocking. never was known for having the best chin in the world, but McCallum was losing the fight. He comes back, he keeps his title, you know, and then, and as you look historically, that was, a, I love matchups of guys that are in the hall of fame and I love that matchup. I love my program. I love my poster and I love that knockout. Okay, so there's so much uh, uh, to go back in the nostalgia because I remember when it happened at the time, but I didn't remember all of the subplot. So when you go back and watch the subplot, Donald Curry was in the process of suing one Sugar Ray Leonard. And that is because he believed Leonard misled him, lied to him, and fraudulently had him move out of the way without giving him any money or any anything uh, because Leonard was going to fight Curry uh, in a comeback fight. So instead, Leonard Leonard convinced him, hey, uh, move out of the way, or, or Leonard was was supposedly trying to broker maybe a Donald Curry-Marvin Hagler fight at middleweight, blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out Leonard is the one that comes back after a three-year layoff and fights Marvin Hagler. So Donald Curry is so furious, he's suing Sugar Ray Leonard, and they're trying to have Sugar Ray Leonard removed off his broadcaster role on the right. HBO broadcast. To, to the point they were trying to go to court to tell HBO he can't broadcast the fight. And HBO, uh, I'm sure that's Ross Greenberg, who you know from a long time ago and all the award-winning people are on the other end going, who in the world are you to tell us that Sugar Ray Leonard's not calling your fight? He works for us. He's calling the fight. 
Donald now, Kirk, Ross was not in charge at that time. Maybe not. Yes. Okay. Okay. But still, he was a producer the, back in those days. the executives were, yes. were saying to them, you're not going to dictate this. That would have been, by the way, that would have been uh, the great Seth Abraham. Seth Abraham. Who, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give him a little shout out right here, who I've been voting for, for the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And to me, it is criminal. You hear that voters, if you're out there listening, it's criminal that this man has not been elected to the Boxing Hall of Fame. Criminal. He is right. the architect of the HBO box that we you. knew and loved in the 1980s about and the 1990s. 57 or 79 important fights that happened because Seth and the HBO people put them together. You're saying put the man in the hall. And I can't. Well, I mean, and by the way, if you're already going to, and again, Lou DiBella, who was his first, uh, you know, like his right hand man who, who ran the day to day, Lou DiBella is in the Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and we all love Lou and he deserves every bit of his Hall of Fame induction. But you can't have Lou DiBella in the Hall of Fame I'm with and not have Seth Abraham in the Hall of Fame. Me, it's like having peanut up. butter in the Hall of Fame and not jelly. Get peanut butter and jelly. I'm with you on that. Let me wrap a bow on this. That Curry refused to meet with Larry Merchant and Jim Lampley if Sugar Ray Leonard was going to be in the room. And, and so Leonard had to be out of the room for the fighter meetings because Donald Curry didn't want him in the room. So they have this on the buildup of the fight. They're asking Ray Leonard about it. And Leonard is being diplomatic on the air and saying, listen, I'm here to work the broadcast. I'm here to analyze the fight. I'm not going to go back First and forth, all, blah, blah, blah. Ray Leonard has broadcast for everybody under the sun. And by the way, I count myself as one of Sugar Ray Leonard's former broadcast partners because we worked together on a number of events okay. when we were doing fights for epics back in the day. I love so that. I love Ray Leonard. But right. Ray has always been the diplomat on, t on TV. And second of all, listen, there's no bigger Ray Leonard fan than me. He is one of the, I think, right. one of the greatest five fighters who ever put on gloves, period. But he never fought Donald Curry. He sure as hell never fought Mike McCallum. He never fought Aaron Pryor. I mean, you know, there's guys he didn't fight. Let's be honest. Okay. So anyway, he's very diplomatic. He's straight down the middle on the call. The knockout happens, and then they get to the post-fight, and the grin on Ray Leonard's face <laughs> is like the Cheshire Cat. He's like, problem solved. Problem solved on him being a contender after Curry got starched. One more story about that fight 35 years ago. Barry Tompkins was on this Big Fight Weekend podcast series. We're on the Fight Freaks Unite here. He was on this podcast channel with us talking about that fight and that night and told us a great story that I'll bring back here just real quick, uh, that he's on the HBO call with Larry Merchant. It was not Jim Lampley at that time. It was Barry Tompkins on the call. Lampley replaced him, I believe, the following year, 1988. Um, so he said that that night I had brought my girlfriend to the fight, and it is not who he ended up marrying him. He, he married another woman later on, but this was a girlfriend at the time who he brought to the fight who had never been to a professional boxing match, as Barry told the story. So they're in the Caesars Palace Pavilion next to the hotel, and the HBO folks, because she's Barry's date, she's his girlfriend, they get her a seat right behind him, like in the media section right behind him. So as he's making the call of the McCallum knockout, and if you go back, and I've tried this, you try to turn it up as loud as you can, he says, she is screaming behind me. Oh, my God, he killed him. Oh, my God, he killed him. And he is calling the end of the fight, and he can recognize this is my girlfriend behind me. I've never – I've I'd watched that replay <laughs> when I was writing a little piece that I wrote for my, my newsletter, and I was on YouTube looking at it, and I, and I did not uh, – I've never really, I'm going to have to go back and okay. listen again. I'm I never giving you an out. Easter egg, figured you an Easter go. egg to go back and listen to because I hope, all, I hope all the fight freaks go on 
yes. uh, and, and checked Which out that knockout. They've okay. never seen it. It's so because a, Barry, again, I'm mm. not exaggerating or making this up. Barry's concern was they can hear my girlfriend on the air while he's calling the end of the fight because he could clearly hear her screaming, oh, my God, he killed him. He killed him. So what a story. That was July 18th, my God, 1987, 35 years ago, but still a great knockout. Fight freaks go back. And listen, and July 18th has other significance. One Saul Canelo Alvarez, born on July 18th. He's 32 years old on Monday as we release the podcast. Happy birthday, Canelo. How about that? And you got a Roy Jones undisputed title win as well in the way back on July 18th as well. Against, if I'm correct. against Lou Del Val in a fight in New York, which was the first time that Roy Jones ever got knocked down, although he won uh, you know, every other second of that fight. Um but the big anniversary on that, other than the Callum, the Callum and Curry fight, 25 years ago, July 18th, 1997, mm. arguably the biggest fight in the history of the junior bantamweight division. And that was a very big deal. The rivalry, crosstown bitter rivalry feud fight between Danny Romero and Johnny Tapia to unify those uh, two of the titles. And uh, such a big deal, so much bad blood divided Albuquerque, their hometown, so severely that top rank made the decision largely based on security reasons to not hold that fight in Albuquerque. Instead, they held it at the Thomson Mack Center in Las Vegas. And that was a big deal. And I remember uh, when that was taking place, I was working as a reporter in Binghamton, New York. I was not mm -hmm. covering boxing. I was but I was obviously a diehard boxing fan. Never did this before and have never done it since. But I used to listen to uh, I used to get home late at night after my shift, uh, you know, and, you know, in the sports department of the, of the newspaper as we're putting the paper to bed. And I listened to one of the overnight shows on the national sports radio. And I called in because the host used to talk about boxing <laughs> and he was like really big on that fight. And I was couldn't wait for that fight. So uh, like over the course of the week leading up to that fight, I was like calling in like, you know, every like I think two or three times. Let's go to Dan week. in New York. And Pretty Dan much Dan, Dan in Vesto, New York. And uh, yeah, I've, I've never been a talk radio. I listen to talk radio, obviously, but I've never been a guy to pick up the phone and wait and wait and wait to, but to, that to be on. fight made you, compelled you that yes. much. And Tapia, well, because the host yeah. was into talking about it. So sure. I was like, I got to call up and. But Tapia and Romero and had quite a rivalry that began, oh obviously, goodness. that night. Right. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, Romero was the big puncher. Tappy was more of the boxer. Tappy, of course, was the older fighter. Romero, if I remember correctly, was the favorite in the fight. Uh, I thought I picked Romero to win that fight. I was wrong. Tapia boxed beautifully, scored a huge victory. It was Romero's uh, first loss, if I'm remembering off the top of my head. He was unbeaten. Was no, he had, he had had the, he had had one thought loss it was his before that. First. Okay, my mistake on that. No, he but definitely they, had a loss before they that. They ended he up having a rematch that Romero won, too, and there was bad blood and controversy about that fight. Well, he just so you know, rivalry, I mean, yeah. Romero had the knockout where he had his jaw broken by Willie Salazar uh, in a fight that had been a, a couple of years before that. But they had been building up the Tappy Romero fight on HBO, on Boxing Ever Dark. They had been on a doubleheader together. And when they fought that fight, Johnny just – had the fight of his life you know it was a competitive fight but he won eight four eight four seven five and uh you know i i view it as a unification johnny was undefeated tappy had the one loss johnny had a couple of draws um it was not only for albuquerque but for boxing he didn't really see those types of hyped up fights in the smaller weight classes to unify titles it was very infrequent um and there have been other fights in junior bantamweight since of course there's been the series of fights of the roman gonzalez and srisiket sarungisai and estrada and Quadras, and there have been some very big fights in that weight class. Um, 
there was a, you know, they have their own historical level of fights, but I'm not sure there was one that was more meaningful with the division overall. And it made such a historical impact uh, that we still talk about 25 years later with Tapia now being uh, unfortunately passing away, but, you know, earning his place in the hall of fame in large measure on the result of that fight, along with him winning other titles. Um, just a, you know, not as exciting and knocked out the way it was with the Callum, McCallum Curry fight that we talked about. But if you like just good quality boxing, um, that's a that's a really a really good fight to watch. And we should make mention that eventually Romero and Tapia became friendlier yes. after the fights. And Romero even spoke at the late Johnny Tapia's funeral after his drug overdose. And Tapia battled demons uh, with drugs and, and rehab. Well, let's Rom- not let's not Romero- that. Johnny Tapia. Hold on. Johnny Tappy did not die of a drug overdose. Correct. But, but oh, I thought you said that he did. Well, but he battled he battled drug addiction and he battled sure problems with it. And Romero helped get him into rehab and helped him after rehab. So they became friends. And Romero genuinely cared for Tappy and the Tapia family uh, all the way up until his death. Yeah, and they by uh, the way, they had a good relationship. Was. They had a good relationship for a long time before the 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 fracture happened. So there was the the good relationship between the camps beforehand. Then there was a long stretch of total bitterness that made their fight into such a blood feud kind of match to the point where they had to move the fight out of Albuquerque and go to uh, Nevada to do the fight. And then, you know, thankfully later on in their lives, uh, Tapia being, you know, a bit older than, than Danny, uh, they were able to bury the hatchet and, and, and make peace with each other. And I was glad to see that. I think we've covered a bunch. All of that on July 18th, by the way, oh, there's 87 we're 97 or Canelo Alvarez now 32 years old and still cranking along, getting ready to fight triple G Roy Jones, Jr. We worked all that in on fight freaks tonight. Anything else in closing my friend, before we get out of here, recapping the weekend, are we good? We're good. I think when we're done though, I'm going to have to pop back on YouTube and watch that knockout again. of uh, Mike McCallum, the body stature. And you watch, I'll tell you this too. You watch the celebration of Lou Duva and all of those guys, because they were elated for the win, the magnitude of the win, but they were going cha-ching, cha-ching with this knockout because now he's going to make a bunch of money in a rematch with Curry or whomever else they're going to fight. They knew how big that moment was for Mike McCallum. Listen, that uh, goes down as one of McCallum's sure. biggest wins Yeah, because Hall of Famer. he never got a chance to fight a lot of the biggest names. I mean, later on, he fought James Tony, But in terms of in his actual prime of those years, he, he didn't get to fight Tommy Hearns. He didn't get to fight right. Ray Leonard. He didn't get to fight a lot of those big names. Um, Donald Curry was one of the biggest names he was able to fight at that point. And that was an HBO main event. So there was a lot of mainstream attention on it at a time when HBO, you know, was very selective with the fights they were doing. They didn't do, uh, you know, a fight every single month. They did obviously several big fights a year, you know, but they might only have six, eight telecasts a year. Uh, so if you were in a main event on HBO at that yep. time, that was like a big deal. Uh, especially if you were so, a non-heavyweight, especially absolutely. if you were not Tyson in that 87 time frame, it was a big deal. If you were not yeah, Tyson if you or if you was not Leonard Hagler on a replay, that was a big deal. Yes. Yeah. They showed some Camacho fights. They showed, you know, uh, of non-heavyweights anyway, they show Camacho a little bit. They might show Chavez, but uh, it was very, very uh, tilted towards the heavyweight I think division. So. Tyson fought four times on HBO that year in 87. When I went in the way back and look, we'll have to look that up. So oh, that Tyson, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Tyson I mean, was frequently on there and you're right. Uh, if you weren't Sugar Ray Leonard, you, you were going to struggle to get a main event fight. So it's a great point that you make that McCallum uh, Curry made it. And it's a memorable knockout that we're talking about 35 years later. 
Listen, in 1987, when they did that fight, I'm looking at my master HBO list that I keep. Okay. They only televised in the calendar year of 1987, nine bouts on HBO. And I'm predicting without seeing what you have, four of them were Mike Tyson fights. Just off the top of my head, see if I'm right. You are right. He fought. So four of the nine fights were Tyson. He fought Bone Crusher Smith that year, Pinklin Thomas, Tony Tucker, and Tyrell Biggs. There you go. So the only other fights that they showed was on the undercard of Tyson and Smith was Tyrell Biggs versus David Bay setting up that fight. The, the, they showed the rebroadcast of Hagler versus Leonard, which uh-huh. is one of the biggest fights of all time. They showed on the undercard of Tyson Pinklin Thomas, Tony Tucker versus James Buster Douglas, yep. where Buster quit uh, in that fight in, uh, in, in, in an IBF t- and title fight. And it set into motion the August undisputed title fight, Tucker against Tyson, right? So then McCallum and Curry, they fought on a, it was not a doubleheader or a triple header, single fight, July 18th, 87, when they fought each other. And then again, Tucker and Tyson, Biggs and Tyson. The only other fight that HBO showed that year, a worthy fight, uh, a, a tremendous fight, a great performance, Julio Cesar Chavez uh, in a lightweight uh, championship fight against Edwin Rosario. How about that? And that was HBO. And I imagine, imagine today if Showtime showed only nine fights for the entire year. Hell, sometimes they show nine fights over the course of a couple of months because they show triple headers and they right, have right. other preliminaries on uh, uh, YouTube and that sort of thing. I mean, people don't understand that back then, the network, I mean, boxing, even at that point, was still on the main networks at times on the weekends. But there was not nearly, there was no streaming. There was no... There's no internet. Know, there's no pop, internet. There's no internet, of course. Pay-per-view, as we know, it didn't exist. I mean, if you wanted to watch Hagler right. Leonard, 98% of the people had to go to a, a, a venue, a closed circle location to watch it. And the only thing else you got the rest of the year was whatever Showtime showed. And that was at the very infancy of them even being involved in boxing in the 86, 87. And nine fights on HBO, four of which were Mike Tyson fights. So, you know, when I hear boxing fans complain now, you know, we may not have the same level of importance every single fight, but we have a lot more quantity. And to me, it's better for that. I agree. Give me five bonus points for knowing that off the top of my head. I have no notes about Tyson that year because, again, I still remember the stat. I still keep repeating this. He fought six times in like 13 months from the Burbick win in November of 86 all the way through the beginning of 1988. It was like 13 or 14 months. He fought like six times. So this is for the heavyweight championship, a portion or the undisputed title. So when these other guys are talking about I can only fight one or two times a year. Exactly. Thanks. I mean, granted, Tyson was getting quick knockouts in most of those but fights, still, but, but still, still, still got to go through the training camp. But I mean, the, bone crusher, go through all the, the bone, the bone crusher was a 12 round fight. The Pinklin Thomas fight was like a six or seven round fight. The Tony Tucker fight was a 12 round fight. They weren't all yeah. one round destructions and he fought five or six times. It can happen. We can all, we can all hope uh, on that. Uh, anyway, great stuff. Great stuff on the nostalgia. Again, we encourage everybody check out just one more time. Check out Dan's fight freaks unite. Uh, Substack, you'll see that Donald Curry program. I was fascinated to see that and that ticket. Those things are very hard poster. to find. Yeah. Uh, poster. I thought you had a ticket as well. Was it the was, it was it not poster? a ticket? Not from that fight. It's the program and the poster, program which the poster. I acquired in separate transactions. Let's All say. Right. Good enough. But I mean, that was uh, again a limited thing. Probably four or five thousand people in attendance, something like that, in the Caesar's Palace Pavilion, something like that. That's about what that that's what it helped. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you know, it's funny. It. I hear, let me just say one more thing. Well, as long as we're, we're on nostalgia, I hear so many people about, you know, this fight only drew this many people. It didn't draw that many people. 
take the Ryan Garcia fight the other night. He drew like a little over 11,000 to the Staples, uh, to the crypto.com arena in Los Angeles for the fight with Fortuna. Uh, most people would say that's a, a, a fantastic crowd. I saw some people say that was disappointing. He didn't draw as much as Tank Davis did when he fought there in, in a couple of fights ago against Romero or not Romero against uh, uh, Isaac Pitbull Cruz. In any event, when people fought big, significant fights, Curry against McCallum, several fights involving Larry Holmes. Sugar Ray Leonard had fights here when he won the championship against Benitez with Marvin Hagler fighting for a middleweight for right. the middleweight title on the undercard against Santa Fermo in the in the in the horrible draw. You had Salvador Sanchez against uh, Wilfredo Gomez. I mean, major, major, major fights. All took place at the Caesars Palace Sports Pavilion. Larry Maxed Holmes, out. Ken Norton Jr. Yes. In that pav- uh, Ken Norton Sr., I'm sorry, yeah. in that pavilion, 1978, like you're talking about. That that arena or that that building for fights held like maybe 5,000 people. It's It was like the size of the Madison Square Garden Theater, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Right. But the point is, those were mega fights in terms of the sport, and they weren't drawing 11,000 people. They were they were feeling right. like you know a five Tyson, or- Tyson beat Trevor Burbick in the Hilton Ballroom that maybe had three thousand people. No, no, that push. held much more than that. The, the Hilton yeah. Ballroom held about eight thousand. Really? About, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you yeah, go back me. and look at it, there's eight thousand in there. I'll take your word for it. If I mean, I, that's I the same believe, venue would... where Meldrick Taylor fought uh, Julio Cesar Chavez right. and it senior. Eight thousand. It might even been a little bit more than that, but it certainly held more than three. But I the point is, this, these these I, marginal I would have fights lost money to you on a bet about that. But I trust you. EJ, I trust, trust you. Me. Tell me that. Yeah, there's a lot of things we could bet on about boxing. You're going to lose money to me. I understand that. If you <laughs> told me if you told me there were eight thousand in there, I believe you on that. It's kind of like when you walk into your beloved Duke, and then we got to go. When you walk into Cameron Indoor Stadium, which I've been in there. Do I have this up on you? I've been there for a Duke North Carolina game. I have not been, unfortunately. When you walk into Cameron Indoor Stadium, you go, my God, how does this seat 11,000 people? This doesn't look like it would seat 6,000 people, but it does. They cram them all in there. Tyson Burbick. Yeah. Tyson Burbick in the Hilton. They called it a ballroom, but it's not really a ballroom. Sellout crowd of 8,800. I can't believe there were that many people that were crammed in that room. But one of the reasons I know that off the top of my head was because a year, less than a year ago, I did a piece for the ring magazine. Mm -hmm. They did an issue that was devoted towards uh, Julio Cesar Chavez senior. And I was asked to write the piece about the Meldrick Taylor fight. And in doing my research on that fight, one of the things I came across was in fact, it was also that type of crowd in, in the Hilton. Now I have covered, I've been to Las Vegas probably 120 times. I've covered a zillion. I've covered well over 100 events in Las Vegas. Over the last 20 years, though, there haven't been fights at the at the Hilton. So in my tenure in covering boxing since 2000, I've never covered a fight at the Las Vegas Hilton. So I didn't really know much about that venue in terms of yep. the nuts and bolts. Like if I, you ask me about Mandalay Bay or the MGM Grand or Thomas and Mac or the, the T-Mobile, you know, I've been to all those venues a million times. But point is, in doing that research, I, I knew that 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 building for that room held a lot of people for those types of fights very good on that and again uh, you know we could go down another 10 minutes on this it's interesting they would fight at the caesars pavilion they fight in that hilton center or ballroom uh whatever it is on their massive property but then the biggest pay-per-view ones they would construct a temporary outdoor arena for those in vegas 
And they did that for a while at Caesars and at a couple of the other uh, hotels. And then they built bigger venues, the MGM Grand, like you're talking about, the Thomas and Mack Center that was built for everything, including UNLV basketball. They could use that now in the late 80s and the early 90s. And then they built Mandalay Bay. Yeah, it progressed. And they built T-Mobile. They're building another one that's due to be finished in the next, I guess, year or so. Uh, they've got other venues. And the funny thing is, as, as big a deal as the Caesars Palace Sports Pavilion was, it hasn't been used for fights for, for ages and ages. The only event I ever did that was related to the Caesars Palace Sports Pavilion, it served as the media. I covered Roy Jones against John Ruiz when Roy fought for the heavyweight belt. And the, the, they used the Sports Pavilion as the media center. The fight itself took place at the Thomas and Mack Center, but the host hotel was Caesars. Gotcha. And so we all stayed at Caesars. And so I found myself daily in this uh, famed place, but it wasn't for fights. It was just to, you know, for press conferences and to get your media interviews Saying and all your that things. you should have known at that time, what you know now on this podcast as we depart, that you could have maybe cupped your ear, not <laughs> unlike Hulk Hogan, listening uh, and wanting the crowd to adore him at Madison Square Garden as a professional wrestler. You could have cupped your ear and maybe have heard Barry Tompkins's girlfriend at the time screaming, oh my God, he killed him on the McCallum <laughs> Curry knockout. We bring it all that the way great. back around. There we go. Okay, plenty on the nostalgia, plenty on the recaps with the fights. Again, we remind everybody uh, that you will find this podcast coming off the weekend. We preview on the Big Fight Weekend preview on Fridays. We recap on Fight Freaks Unite coming off the weekend. By the way, you're going to hear from Andy Ruiz, uh, heavyweight contender, former uh, unified heavyweight champion, later this week on the Big Fight Weekend preview. You'll hear from him uh, a little bit later on. There's a tease. Dan's talked with him one-on-one. With that, I think we're good on this edition, are we not, my friend? I think we probably just leave it at this. I don't know if there's another boxing podcast out there that would have conversation about Ryan Garcia yep. and Mike McCallum on the same podcast. Yep. And uh, attendance size of the Hilton and Cameron Indoor Stadium and uh, all the other things that we covered on this podcast. But I enjoyed it with you, my friend. Uh, great stuff. We'll talk to you later in the week. Sounds good, my man. There is Dan Raphael again. Read us more on BigFightWeekend.com. Big Fight Weekend preview out later this week. Thank you for finding us here for Fight Freaks Unite. For Dan Raphael, I'm TJ Reeves. 